Hey everyone, welcome to the Cyber Life Podcast. Ken Underhill, your host. In today's episode, I just wanted to share, I was a recent guest on the Simply Cyber YouTube channel with Jerry Osher, and we talked a little bit about skills in cybersecurity, as well as some of the programs out there. So we talked a little bit about higher education, so things like college. We also talked about boot camps and uh, shared our opinions on those and, and things like that. So definitely want everyone to check it out. I know some people consume stuff via audio only, so I wanted to throw this episode up on the podcast. But be sure to check out Jerry's YouTube channel, Simply Cyber is a name, very easy to remember, and be sure to subscribe over there. He's got a ton of great content that's free. Also wanted to let everyone know I'm going to be uh, converting the season one cyber life episode. So I should be uploading those to the podcast as well. It's a little better to look at those obviously with in a TV approach where you see the visuals and everything. But for those that also want to just consume those via audio, I'll upload those as well. And just a quick note on the cyber life show, I'm going with a different studio for season two. So I do have a good amount of season two already done, but I am the last few episodes converting to a new studio. So I will keep everyone posted via LinkedIn once the uh, season two is uh, scheduled to go out. So uh, the new studio team has done a number of like big name clients. They've worked a lot in Hollywood area. They've also done a number of the Doritos commercials, uh, commercials that you've seen during things like the Super Bowl. So very experienced team, very good creativity, and uh, looking forward to uh, the latter part of season two and also in future seasons of some of the awesome things that we'll be bringing to the table based on our conversation. So I just want to keep everyone up to date on this stuff. Without further ado, this is the episode with Jerry Osher and myself on his Simply Cyber YouTube channel. Did want to note this is a little longer episode. We were on for about an hour or so, but a lot of great content. So definitely recommend you stay for the entire thing and listen to everything that we had to share. We did share a lot of good advice. So without further ado, let's jump right into the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Simply Cyber Live, the YouTube channel designed to help you make and take a cybersecurity career further, faster. I am super pumped for today because we have uh, a seasoned expert joining us talking about the need for skill-based training and education and really the experience that so many employers are looking for in today's day. Now, before we get into the show, I do want to preface it a little bit. We are doing two free giveaways today, which I am super, super excited about. Uh, compliments of Josh Mason and the, the whole team over at Cyber Supply Drop. One of the giveaways is going to be a month subscription, the professional level subscription to Blue Team Labs online. The second giveaway is the uh, Cyber Mentor Academy's Movement Pivoting and Persistent course, and it's yours forever. So two great prizes. All you have to do is go over to the Discord, Simply Cyber Discord, go to the giveaway channel and hit the little, you know, celebrate emoji and you'll be entered. It's as easy as that. No purchase necessary. So, you know, this uh, skills-based training and experience, it's its so important. We, we constantly talk about uh, giving people um, you know, labs and opportunity to really get hands-on keyboard experience. But you know, there's a broader conversation there. And, and today I'm like super pumped to bring uh, Ken Underhill onto the show. He's a cybersecurity executive with over a decade of experience in the industry. He's also the host of CyberLife, another great YouTube channel, uh, cybersecurity content that it's designed for sharing cybersecurity career knowledge and having the right mindset to work in the industry and helping you learn uh, the different areas of cybersecurity, because it really is more than just Mr. Robot, right? Now, Ken, and this is very impressive, has been featured on Forbes, Reader's Digest, Medium, Tech Republic, 
Fox, NBC, and uh, what I would consider a bucket list item and one that I'm striving for personally, haven't hit it yet. He was featured on Dark Reading more than once. So really, really awesome. I'm super pumped to have him. Let's bring him into the show here. Uh, Ken, how are you? Thanks for being with us today. Yeah, doing awesome, Jerry. Thanks for uh, having me on. Always, always appreciate your work. You do some great stuff and share a lot of great knowledge with everyone. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. So, so Ken, we're talking about skills-based training, right? And, you know, we, we, we talk about it so often in like our discussions with people trying to break in and really people who are having a tough time with that chicken and egg problem of how do I get experience without getting a job and I can't get the job without experience? What, what am I supposed to do? And I would argue really in our industry, specifically cybersecurity, IT in general has got some of this, but in our industry, um, if you can do the job, it doesn't matter if you have a high school degree or a PhD, right? If you can do the job, that means you can help me achieve my security objectives and I want you, right? So it, it's it's really so, so important. But to, to that point, uh, Ken, you know, what is your thought on how higher education, you know, like bachelor's, master's, PhD, how does higher education really factor into today's cybersecurity practitioner's marketability? Yeah, so I think you you made a great point there, Jerry. In cyber, in even just a general IT jobs, it's not about who has a master's or bachelor's or PhD, et cetera. There is value. Don't get me wrong. There is value in having college degrees. Typically speaking, that's going to be when you're looking to move into management roles. So really until you're to look at some of the more leadership roles in an organization, you you realistically don't need a degree. Now, that doesn't mean I'm telling you like drop out of your degree program that you're doing right now or anything like that. Please don't, you know, just, just, but just understand that you don't need a college degree. You don't need certs, in my opinion, to, to get the jobs. So now you may be wondering, all right, well, how do I, how do I get the job then? You know, he's told me not to get a degree. He says, I don't need that. I don't need certs. What, what do I do? I think one of the biggest challenges, and I've educated, you know, quite a few people around the world and mentored, I mean, tens of thousands of people over the years. And I think one of the biggest challenges, well, one of many, right? There's many challenges, but one of the biggest ones is that a lot of people are focused on getting a job where it says cybersecurity in the job title. And from my own experience, I mean, aside from the pen tester stuff I did, I, I, I had, had like no previous jobs before that that had cybersecurity in the job title. Things like network engineer. I did things around network security, right? I did things uh, around some, more, uh, some of the more uh, analyst and forensic type of work and even incident response. But the job title itself didn't say cybersecurity anywhere in that. And I've spoken with a number of people over the years that they're, they're so focused on let me find a job that says cybersecurity in the job title that they miss out on the 10,000 jobs that they just skim through on, on whatever platform they're looking at. So I think when you're looking at higher education directly, it doesn't usually lead to a job. And you see that in any industry. I mean, you can go get a degree, a degree in English, major in English. Does that mean you're going to be working in English? You know, maybe you'll get a job as a teacher or something if you get some licenses and stuff. But, but realistically, most uh, most college degrees out there, and this is just my opinion, but most college degrees out there are not going to prepare you for the vast majority of jobs. You know, there are cases, you know, lawyer, doctor, accountant, you know, things like that. But but especially in cyber, most programs out there, they, they, they do their best, right? But the thing to keep in mind about college programs is they have to go through a process for accreditation and building their curriculum, et cetera. And cyber especially changes so fast. I mean, yeah. literally 
today there's probably been 400,000 new strains of malware out there, you know, coming out. So, so there's no way that, that a college program or even certifications for that matter can keep up with that stuff. So just understand that none of that stuff is, is directly related to a job usually, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it, right? That doesn't mean you should drop out of your college program right now or that you shouldn't look at it. I have college degrees, so does Jerry, but I didn't have college degrees around cyber when I got my, my, my start in the industry, you know, and I worked from IT into, into cyber from nursing, but, but I still, I didn't have degrees, right? So all I'm saying with, with that kind of long winded answer there is that a college degree in itself, a certification even in itself doesn't guarantee you that you'll actually get a job in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, uh, you know, a personal story. It was a stark reality when I graduated from my undergrad with a computer science degree, not cyber. And uh, I thought that, you know, I'd be beaten back employers, you know, having having the pick of my choice, like which which one of these, uh, you know, do I want to take to the dance? And in reality, uh, there was no suitors. Right. And uh, that was a stark, stark reality. I I always feel that the higher education uh, path you don't need it to work in cyber. Okay. So like, I agree with you hundred percent. I think that the real value add of the higher education path is uh, threefold. One, if you're the type of person who, who would like some mentorship, like guidance, like direction, uh, and, and maybe you, you can't do that for yourself. And there's no, no shame in that, right? Some people operate differently. Uh, higher education can give you that. Second, you know, a, a good cybersecurity program will give you a broad exposure to the industry, right? So like you're going to be a dynamite red teamer. So you're going to do EJPT and then you're going to go in and get OSCP or whatever. Like that's awesome. But like you may not really even have a clue like why governance risk and compliance even matters or understand how it fits into the the architecture of a functioning, you know, strong information security program. You just understand how to pop boxes and that's cool. That is cool because we need people to pop boxes. But I, I think that that's really kind of the, the 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 value add of the higher ed. And then my final point on higher ed is that if it's a good program, it should give you kind of that theoretical foundation, that baseline for which to build upon and build on top of. Um, so that that's the case. I, I also agree. You know, so many people that the short like little 15 second answer is like, you don't need a college degree. People clip that and they're like, oh my God, like I get emails all the time. Oh my God, like I just signed up. I just got it admitted to this program. But what am I doing here? And, uh, you know, it's a more complicated um, answer than that. So, yeah, unless, do you have another thought on that, Kim? Yeah, yeah. I just want to, you know, just kind of contribute and, and add to what you were saying there. You know, we, we both agree that, that a college degree doesn't directly align but jerry brought up a good point there it gives you the holistic view and and you don't have to go to college to get that holistic view i mean you can read books you can take a bunch of courses etc but you know college programs out there and other types of programs give you a more structured approach to a lot of things and i will just a final thought here you're if you do decide to do college it doesn't have to be cyber i mean i know a ton of people with psychology degrees and mm-hmm. and actually english degrees like i mentioned earlier and and history. And uh, I mean, I, I, I even know someone that has a, a, a art history degree and they were a magician before and now they're in cyber and they're great pen testers. So you, you, college degree, again, doesn't mean you're going to get a job in industry, but but it's more about having a holistic view because as, as Jerry mentioned, coming into the enterprise, if you don't understand how the different pieces of the puzzle work together, it's great that you can 
hack that one piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. But what about everything else over here, right? And because you don't understand that, or you don't at least have a, a high level view of those other things, there might be a faster route into that box, right? Because you understand this thing of it, right? But because you don't have that view, you're focused on this thing that takes you three days to get into when you could have just literally been around this way in, in you know 30 minutes and been in and looked really, really good to your boss. So yeah. just I- understand the holistic view is, is a key aspect. Yeah, I was told early in my career when I was a developer, um, and I thought I could solve every problem with the model view controller uh, paradigm. Uh, professor pulled me aside and said, "Just because you know, like when you when you know how to use a hammer, all the world looks like a nail, right?" And it was so true. It's like, yeah, I, I don't really know how to do any of these other things, so I'll just gonna ham fist this way onto everything. So. You know, Ken, we're talking about uh, getting, you know, education and, and kind of having that mentorship. And another, you know, I guess, popular option within industry are boot camps, right? But, you know, those are a mixed bag. There's a lot of strong opinions. Josh Mason recently was on LinkedIn uh, getting flamed about it and had to write a, a lengthy post. So, you know, I guess, Ken, what are your thoughts on cybersecurity boot camps? Yeah, you know, shout out to Josh. Always love your posts. Always, uh, always bring a smile to my face. Yeah, I, I've got a, I've got a mixed opinion. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll try to keep this, you know, without cursing. But here's the reality of boot camps out there: the vast majority that I've seen do not f- really prepare you for cyber roles. What do I mean by that? There's a couple of major areas that I, that I typically focus on when people ask me about boot camps. Number one being, what is the actual content they're teaching you? The vast majority I've seen out there teach you sort of that Jack or Jane of all trades thing, right? They teach you a little bit of Kelly Linux, and maybe you spin up Security Onion, learn a little, little defensive side, play with a few forensic tools here and there. Maybe you talk a little bit on a high level about some GRC stuff or governance risk compliance for those that don't know out there. But really just you don't specialize in anything. You don't focus on any real on-the-job skills that that you can walk in day one to a company and deliver value. And that's what companies are looking for, is, as uh, Jerry mentioned earlier, can you actually come in and do the job? In a real enterprise, nobody spins up one instance of Kali Linux on a virtual box and one Windows 7 VM and attacks it. Like that, That's not a real pen test, right? Real pen test might be tens of thousands of machines. might also just be code review, right? So th- there's a lot of mixture there that these boot camps don't touch on. The other sort of... I guess issue I have with a lot of the, the boot camps out there is many of them will just pay a fee to a lot of these big name universities and it makes it look like, right. It's, 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 you know, to my knowledge, illegal practice, but it makes it look like that it's the university has like vetted this content and vetted the program and all that stuff. And, and the marketing is a little shady in my opinion from these boot camps. And so you think at least the average person out there would think that, okay, I'm going to university X and I'm doing their boot camp for, 10 or 15 or even $20,000 or more. And in reality, you're not like the content is not vetted by the university whatsoever. And it's not built by people with real industry experience. I mean, these are the people building this content and designing this curriculum. These are people just like Googling stuff real quick and saying, Oh, well, that looks right. You know, that seems to be a hot topic in cyber. Oh, people are searching for Kali Linux. Let's add that to the program. And, and so if you've got any experience in industry and you look at these programs out there, vast majority there are some 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 good ones out there but but the vast majority of them out there you look at them you're anyone with industry experience you look at them and you say wait a minute what is this prepping you for right what what am i prepared for if i went through this program the vast majority of cases you're not you're not going to get prepped for anything out there and so you have to be very careful with a lot of the boot camp programs out there i would say 
in 99.9% of the time. I mean, I literally, there's very few. There are very, very few boot camps out there that, that actually train you for a specific role. And I mean, there's almost, I mean, there's only one I can think of that actually trains you. And I'm partially biased on that. But anyways, there's really only one that trains you real on the job skills. Because I've looked at a number of them and they, they do teach you some stuff, but it's not stuff that you're going to go in and, and, and do day one at a company. I mean, the, I, I have yet to, I mean, outside of, you know, full disclaimer, I'm with Rapid Ascent. And so I, I, I am biased on this statement here, but I have yet to see any other programs out there that have a focus on threats, right? Really helping you understand threats and, and how threats drive everything for a company around controls, et cetera, you know, budgeting even. I haven't seen a single program out there that, that you know, outside of, outside of the program we built that does that, right? And so just, you really have to be careful with, with boot camps. You know, if you have questions on that, you can always reach out to myself, Jerry, even Josh Mason. He, he may have a strong opinion on boot camps as well <laughs> to yeah. share. But, but a number of us in industry, we'll, we'll give you our opinion on the boot camp you're looking at and give you an honest opinion. Even me, if you're looking at other boot camps out there, I'll give you my honest opinion, my Ken opinion, not my, my corporate opinion or anything like that. It's going to be a real a genuine opinion on that bootcamp program so you can make the best educated decision on, on, you know, if that's the route you want to go, which one you should attend. Yeah. So you said, you said a bunch of things there. Um, for, first and foremost, um, w- when it comes to boot camps, I, I agree with you. Like, you know, if it's a one week boot camp, right? Like just think, just think about it practically for a second. It's a one week boot camp, and I've been to several of these. Okay. A one week boot camp. Like, do you really think for $3,000, or X, X thousand dollars, whatever, like the, the, the amount it costs does not equal the value you get, right? So if it's a $10,000 bootcamp, it's not three, three X the value. Like they're going to be plowing through material typically. And it's like, if you didn't get that last lesson, sorry, like you'll have to just take a note and go do it on your, do it on your own at home, which you could have done anyways. Uh, another thing that you said, Ken, that cracks me up is, and it's so true is like, you're not going in in real life, like in corporate a job or whatever you get, you're not going to open Cali and attack a, a machine. And I wanted to call it out because this happened recently in my my corporate nine to five gig. Like if you if you bring Cali down onto my network, I will be notified immediately. Like that is one of the most noisy things that you could possibly do uh, on, on a network. Right. Unless I mean, for any network that has any tools in place. So you know, like not only is it a bad idea, not practical, like you will get uh, blown up immediately. Um, and then the final thing that you mentioned that I agree a hundred percent with is like those boot camps really are just a little bit of everything. So you're going, you're just getting like concepts and introduced and awareness. You're not getting that, um, basically what this talks about skill-based training, right? Like you're not, you can't leave the boot camp and practically in most cases go get, uh, a job and be like, Oh, I'm qualified in Splunk or I'm qualified in whatever, because unless you're, you're using it, um, you, you typically can lose it. Now. Um, I, I know we had some questions that we talked about beforehand, but you, something you just mentioned that really is interesting is you mentioned rapid ascents um, based on like threat-based curriculum. And I, I thought that was interesting because when I think about it of what the curriculum is of the boot camps that I've done, it really is just like, here's a, a skill or here is a technology and you like literally just punch through it, right? There's really no, I don't want to call it no organization to it, but it's really just, we're going to cover the entire 
gambit, whether it's a like a limited used function, right? So like, for example, forensics, right? Blue team analysts, SOC analysts, right? You're going to do a lot of like uh, sim work and, and investigation and stuff. And you're very, very seldomly going to do like malware analysis, like practically, unless you're a malware analyst. But like a boot camp might put the same weight on malware analysis as, you know, running around in the sim. And as an individual who has no, you know, point of reference, you don't know that that that's not as practical in in reality as the other stuff. So I'm actually kind of curious. Can you kind of just elaborate a little bit on how you guys use threat base um, curriculum? Because yeah. that's really interesting to me. Yeah. So you know, to to a point, I think you were driving to Jerry and correct me if I'm wrong. But basically, what's the context of this thing I'm learning, right? And so and so the way we do that, everything as I mentioned, threat based. What does that even mean, right? That means if, for example, we're just teaching you some fundamental networking stuff, we're bringing threats into it. So yes, you may not, you know, let's say you're totally brand new to all this stuff. You may not understand everything, right? You don't know how to do incident response, any of that stuff, but we're putting it in a context of, all right, this is why you're doing this thing, right? This is why it's important, for example, to understand the, the OSI model as kind of a framework to use as you build out the, the architecture of your organization or or as you do this particular task, this is why, because for financial services, this threat actor does these TTPs, right? Or tactics, techniques, procedures. Uh, for those that don't know what the, the terminology means, I'll try to, throughout the session, I'll try to make it where if you're totally brand new to all this stuff, we don't confuse you at all. So I'll try to explain things a little bit. So if you're experienced, just bear with me on those things. But understanding, okay, this threat actor in financial services or healthcare or whatever, these are the typical ways they get in. Now let's go ahead and do this thing. And typically the way we do it, Jerry, is maybe networking is not the best example. Let's go a little more advanced stuff. We throw you in it. So back in the military, when I served there, the, the basic medical course I went through, the, the first thing they did day one, they came in with fake blood and sprayed all of us with, with fake blood from this, this uh, Sim Man arm thing to see like hose this all with fake blood. And, and then they came in and instructed us and say, look, when you don't stop the bleeding, this is what could happen, right? You, or if it's an arterial bleed, it's going to spray all over you, whatever. That was impactful, right? You, me you remember that, you know, even though it was fake blood, you remember when you're hosed and dripping wet of, of fake blood. That carries with you throughout your career. Similar thing in cyber, right? We, we generally will, will uh, in our instruction, own you. What I mean by that is we'll hack your stuff. You know, your lab, it's a safe environment. We don't, we don't like hack your home computer or anything, but we'll hack your stuff or we'll do something on the defensive side, whatever. We'll basically show you what can happen if things go wrong. If you don't do the thing we're trying to teach you. And then let's circle back on it. You may not understand any of that stuff, but let's circle back on it. And from there, we do a similar concept as a military of the crawl, walk, run, right? So we, let's get into these fundamentals. Let's keep reiterating that basic skill set, build those fundamentals. From there, let's have you start working together through different exercises to kind of build up that skill and everything. And then eventually let's move you into more of the advanced level stuff where you're solving that problem we just had shown you, right? And we could just kind of own you. Now you can, can actually do that yourself, right? And, and protect against that. Why do we do it that way? Because when you're really on the job and you have an over, over the shoulder mentor that's guiding you, that's somebody experienced in industry, they do the same thing, right? If you think about it, they'll have you learn some stuff on your own and kind of play around a little on your own after showing you or discussing some of the things that, that can happen if this thing happens, right? Then from there, they'll have you learn some fundamental things. You'll kind of build on those. They'll guide you as you're going through, right? So we design our, our program to guide you through those things. You keep building this skill and over time, 
you'll build the skill and you'll be able to go do it on your own, right? And that's what we call the ability aspect of it. So that's really what we we focus on. And you know, to Jerry's point of how to put it in context, right? It's it's all threat driven. When you when you're in an organization and you're let's just say you're you're trying to get new cyber insurance, right? Or you're trying to get better rates or whatever. You have to you have to think about how the insurers looking at things, and they're looking at things in the aspect of, all right, do they have a mature program in place? What kind of program do they have? Do they have patch management? Do they have policies, procedures, things like that in place? And a lot of that is threat driven. They're saying, okay, well, who do we know as the insurer who's likely to target this particular organization based off the industry they're in, the geographic location, et cetera? And then from there, let's decide if they're doing the things they should be doing as part of best practices. So what you need to do in that example as an organization and and just a a team member on the organization is also be aware of what threats are targeting you. Oftentimes you see in in, in the news and stuff, all sorts of things going on. Doesn't mean it's really relevant to your particular industry, right? If If you're not a manufacturing company and you're a healthcare company, is that vulnerability they just released for manufacturing in ICS systems, is that really relevant to you? Eh, probably not, right? So yeah, it's all context, right? And that's why we focus on threat-driven approach because that's, at the end of the day, what, what you're going to be using out there in the real world is you're going to be looking at the threats that target your your organization and even your specific business unit. And though that's the way you're going to be approaching things. So instead of just saying, hey, let's teach you malware reversing and eh, let's pull in some networking and whatever, you know, because a lot of those boot camps look at CERT programs like Security Plus, and that's where they pull from. Like, oh, you should, you should, you need to learn hacking. So let's teach you Kali Linux and, and Windows Seven or Windows XP box. You know, instead of teaching you how to live off the land, right? Instead of teaching you things like Bloodhound, which you can use for enumerating Active Directory, which basically all that means for those that don't know enumeration, you're mapping out mm-hmm. you know, the, the pathways to to get the things that you want as an attacker. These are the common methods that attackers are using. That's why it needs to be a threat-based approach because you need to understand how are the attackers that are focused on your organization or the organization you want to work at, how are they doing things? Not, none of them are, sorry, none of them are spinning up Kali Linux and trying to, you know, to to what Jerry Jerry mentioned, everyone knows the flag for that stuff, right? Unless you've been off the grid for a long time as a company. But in today's world, a lot of this stuff is flagged that's not realistic, right? So, so most of the boot camps out there, in my opinion, are not realistic in what they're training. That's why we've taken a threat-driven approach. And the last thing I'll add here is that we're actually, we're a team of people that have actually been in industry, that have been there, done that on, on both sides of the fence, right? Both the offensive side and pen testing, a lot of us have, have worked in this space, as well as incident response, analyst stuff. I mean, even GRC, risk, uh, analysis for for a number of organizations, both public, private sector, et cetera. So instead of it being someone that just said, oh, cybersecurity is a hot topic. Let me invest some money, hire some people to go look at some certs and build out a program and try to make money off people. We recognize some of the issues out there. And we're like, look, it's great to make money and everything in business. Obviously you want to in business, but at the end of the day, we need more people that have the right skills to help us because you know the skills gap isn't just Let's get a bunch of people with SEC Plus or CEH or you know CISSP, which is the one we all keep joking about on, mm-hmm. on LinkedIn that's in entry-level job postings. But it's not about that stuff. It's about the real skills and, and abilities that you can go out there and bring value to the team on day one. Absolutely. So it's, it's interesting. Um, you, you touched on something that I just take for granted. But as soon as you said it, I'm like, yeah, that is so true. Like you, 
industry matters, right? So like, you know, I'm in chemical manufacturing now. I was in healthcare before, you know, when something strikes and it's in the news, but if it, if it, if it doesn't resonate in my industry per se, um, or DHS is doing something, but it's specifically for oil and gas, like, it's not to say I tune it out, but like I, I parse out and say, okay, like, I don't need to know about that. I'm going to focus my energy and effort over here. And it's so true because you can't take all the information and you, you certainly have to start, um, you know, like listening for the things that matter to how you can do your job more effectively. So to that point, Ken, you know, what areas within the cybersecurity market, I know this is uh, maybe particularly a role or industry or, or you know, a driving technology, what areas within the market are you seeing growth and in kind of to take a step back, what do you think is driving that growth in our, in our industry? Well, I mean, you've, you've got a number of areas where I think people should focus if they're looking for jobs. Uh, you know, typically speaking, people are like, I want to be a SOC analyst. I want to work in a SOC. I personally, if I was in your shoes, I wouldn't look at that route. There's value there, but everyone's kind of looking at that, right? Same with pen testing. I want to be a pen tester. I'm the world's greatest pen tester. That's great. But reality is so many people are looking at those areas. A, a sort of a almost forgotten area that uh, that partially has growth because of demand, but also has growth because like nobody even thinks of it is GRC, right? Compliance stuff. So that's a nice avenue for someone out there looking to get their first cyber job. Look at compliance jobs. That's a good avenue. Another area of growth is, is obviously cloud, cloud security stuff. I typically also recommend people check that out. Reason for that growth, you know, and, and as well, so, so let's kind of focus on the growth aspect here. And compliance, obviously, as more privacy laws and things like that come into play around the world, uh, China just passed one as well. As more things come into play around the world, there's there's continued demand for, for experts in that area that can help organizations uh, understand and appreciate and, and, and reduce their risk uh, where they can to improve their security posturing. Next thing there is a cloud that I mentioned. And so vast majority of organizations have already moved to the cloud in some capacity. And most of them that I've spoken with directly is especially at the fortune 500 level have a three to five year cloud migration plan to move a majority of infrastructure off on-prem and into the cloud, uh, primarily focused on cost savings, because I mean, you can, you know, if you do it right, <laughs> let's stress that if you do it right, you can, you can definitely save money with cloud. Um, but if you do it wrong, it could be a huge cost cost uh, center for you. Uh, another area that is maybe to some extent a little more difficult to get into, uh, but if you network properly, not so difficult, but you do need to have a, a good technical skill set, is critical infrastructure. So working in, you know, more than manufacturing, working with, you know, ICS systems and networks and, and understanding that space, there's a demand there. Again, that one, you know, it's a very kind of close-knit community, at least here in the U.S. And so I, I, if you want to get into that, it, you definitely want to make sure you get a really strong technical skill set, really understand how enterprise IT networks work, because that's a lot of what you'll be doing, even though it is critical infrastructure. You know, that's a lot of what you'll be working with on assessments and stuff. And then from there, you know, keep diving into that. But really, the networking is a key to getting the job in that particular space. But for the more general answer there, Compliance and cloud are, are areas, you know, and, and coupled with uh, cloud is uh, obviously identity and access management. You know, that's that's, a, that's a, a huge thing right now as well. 
Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, like literally a thousand percent. If I can, if I can have a ridiculous hyperbolic uh, comment on that. So the reason that I think cloud is so uh, valuable for those who are in the audience, I actually just dropped a couple of links to uh, Azure training and a um, an AWS training. And I would, I would say, and Ken, if you, if you want to disagree with me, feel free to after. Uh, I used to pump AWS, right? Like go AWS, that's it, right? And big tech is really adopting AWS. But the thing is, most companies are Microsoft shops, right? Which means they have on-prem AD, which means their Active Directory is running their situation on-prem. They're migrating, like Ken said, three to five years up into the cloud. And they're, they're doing it to Azure because Microsoft is making everything super easy. It's super uh, smooth, super affordable. You can bring your licenses. So obviously the executives like that. So Azure is, I would say, eclipsed AWS. AWS still got a huge footprint. Don't get me wrong. But Azure's got a, there's more long-term viability and career growth potential in Azure. So I would say go Azure. The other thing I would say, and this is kind of sucks to admit, but like cloud is new. I've been in the industry 17 years. Ken's been in 11 plus. Like cloud's only been around, like really been around for a few years, which means that if you started at the same time I did on cloud, we have the same level of years of experience on cloud, right? Like my 17 years don't mean a thing. I mean, there's some value to it in other capacities, but for the most part, you could be an expert in cloud uh, and not have to be competing with you know, gray beards like me for the same position, right? So like you can definitely, definitely take advantage of that because it's a different paradigm. And I know people make the silly joke like, oh, it's just another computer. Like, yes, it is. But the way that specifically Azure is running, it's very much a, like a zero trust architecture. Yes, you can build infrastructure as a service up there, but that's not really the way. I, I almost feel like they did infrastructure as a service to make it more palatable for people to wrap their head around moving their data center into the cloud. Like if you actually take advantage of the resources, like that's what they're called resources up in Azure, you can do some wild, crazy things doing PaaS services versus infrastructure as a service. And if you don't understand what you're doing from an infrastructure perspective or a security perspective, you're going to be in the newspaper, basically. So there's a lot of value uh, in the cloud uh, training and all the training is free because get this big surprise. Microsoft wants people like you and I smart on Azure training. So they put the training out there for free. They make the certification super cheap, right? It's like 150 bucks for a cert exam, which I know is expensive for some people, but in the pantheon of cybersecurity certifications, that is quite cheap, right? And the reason is, is because if you got a stable of workforce who are Azure certified and you're kind of on the fence about going Azure AWS, you don't have to invest in your staff to train them up on AWS. You've got the staff already trained. So Microsoft is incentivized to give that training out for free because they want vendor lock-in, they want adoption, right? So anyways, go buck wild up in cloud is, is kind of what, what I'm saying here. That's my TLDR for, for everyone on that, right? Yeah, no, and, and just a few things I'll add uh, to what yeah. Jerry said. Yeah, I mean, AWS is still the market leader right now. Uh, Azure has has better growth from what I've seen over the past several years, uh, and they continue to just kind of explode in their growth. Again, AWS still market share, and, and, and you know, don't count out Google Cloud as well. Uh, there's there's definitely need there as well. One one additional thing I'll add there is I, I think it's important to get foundational knowledge in both Azure and AWS. And you know, as Jerry mentioned, the cert exams are really low cost. I mean, if you just look at like Sec Plus, I mean, I think it 
higher 250 or 300. I forget their pricing yeah, now. I just think it's for 359 now. now. I just did a video on it recently. Yeah. 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 It's, it's like, okay, that's great. But like you come out of that and like everyone has that, you know, essentially like you're, you're not getting a job, but you can go get, you know, a, a decent voucher, 150, 250 bucks, I think is maybe the max on some of the ones I've seen for the cloud space. And you can get a couple of fundamental search and that's really enough sometimes to get you with some projects that you do on the side. That's enough to get you cloud architect role, which then within a matter of months, you're making six figures. Whereas, you know, your friend over there gets security plus and they're still looking for a job a year later and you're making six figures, try, you know, I don't know, driving a Ferrari, I don't know, who knows, yeah, who knows. Yeah. You know, your friends over there are still, you know, struggling to get a job. So it, it's, it's a hot area. As we both mentioned, if you're looking for a job, it's definitely something you want to check out. The training, as Jerry mentioned, is either free or low cost in a lot of cases. And, you know, the thing I will say is focus on building your hands-on skills and doing some projects that you can show uh, a potential hiring manager versus just passing a cert. I want to stress that. Like, certs don't matter. Don't just be a piece of paper. Actually be able to come do the thing on the job that you're that you're learning the cert uh, stuff around. Yeah, Absolutely. And, and before I want to take a couple of questions from the audience, Ken, because uh, people are dropping some good questions in here. I just want to remind everybody, uh, we've got maybe 10 more minutes left on the giveaway. So jump in the Discord server, go to the giveaway channel, hit the little celebrate emoji. It's free to enter and they're both uh, excellent prizes. So I want people to take advantage of that. And also a special shout out to Differ Diva because I made an example shooting from the hip earlier about how malware analysis isn't something that a lot of incident response groups do. And uh, she's she's up to our elbows in malware daily, and uh, I you know I was speaking kind of flippantly and and uh, just pulling one from my hip there. So yeah, no, uh, isn't uh, is it's just on that isn't isn't Elaine great? I mean, check out the Different Diva uh, blog site. She's got oh. so many resources over there for free. It's just she's she's just a wonderful person, and I know she's shy. She never wants to jump on the uh, videos with me either, but <laughs> definitely a great resource. I, I recommend you check it out if you're looking on the incident response and and uh, forensics and malware reversing side of the house. Absolutely. Yeah. It's definitely one of the best. I mean, I have some free stuff on simply cyber, but I stopped actually actively maintaining it. Uh, and I just point people to her site because her yeah. site crushes uh, everything. It's awesome. So uh, Ken um, Pinto had a question here about uh, in the GRC field, whether there's a lack of professionals, how can you train for it? Um, you know, he's got personal interests and he wants, you know, some technicals. So uh, what, what are your uh, yeah. thoughts around this? Yeah. So, so n number one, yeah, there's, there's a lack of people just in general in, in the GRC space and, you know, how do you train for that? So there's, there's a number of ways. There are some, uh, there are some certs out there like CIPP uh, may not recommend that for kind of entry level. Uh, it's a little pricey. Uh, there's another one. Uh, I forget the name of the organization, but they, they have a couple of GRC certs uh, that it, I think the fee was, was like 300 bucks when I paid for that, that includes the training and two certs, which is actually a pretty decent uh, value, including the, the vouchers and like all that for 300 bucks US was a pricing. I don't know if that's still the pricing. I, I forget. It's like GRPC or something like that. I, I can't think of it. I'll share that with Jerry so he can post it in the comments um, later after this. I'll, I'll look it up. Uh, and then I will say that you don't need certs because I know someone that, that went from selling swimming pools mm -hmm. to doing compliance, right? So the way that she did that, is is she focused on one uh, one framework one you know like NIST or you know or ISO or, or whatever and she focused on one thing and mastering that and, and focused on that and then you know worked on mastering the others right so my suggestion 
for those out there that are looking at GRC as, as a career field, number one, start searching for jobs and identify what they're looking for, right? Are they working, are they wanting to have NIST frameworks? Are they wanting you to focus on ISO or a combination of all? If so, dive into those frameworks and understand them. Don't just dive in and like memorize stuff, but understand how an organization might use those. And you can find a ton of YouTube videos. You can find a ton of uh, free resources online. There's a ton of low cost courses as well. You can find out there a uh, mixture of quality on some of those, but there's a lot of resources out there. I would start, I always tell people start with YouTube where we're at right now, start mm -hmm. with that because there's a lot of free stuff out there, but uh, you know, definitely look at the jobs in your area that are open. And, and then from there, let that kind of drive you again. You don't need certs to, to get in that space at all. And it's a good spot for entry level people, especially if you don't have a, a strong technical background, like you didn't start in it or something uh, like many of us did. Focus, you know, that's a good area to focus on. And that's kind of the way you do that, right? I, I always tell people for no matter what you want to focus on in cyber, whether it's compliance or not, look at the job postings first, see what they're looking for. And then from there, identify some of the skills, not the certs, but focus on some of the skills that they have listed and, and then focus on learning those particular skills or knowledge that they have in there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, so I've worked, I came up in GRC, right? So I have a technical academic background, but I, I got in through GRC and it really is a great on-ramp, especially if you aren't are, are not technical because you're able to engage with technical people and basically slowly build yourself up on those skills, uh, but still be practicing in the field. One, one thing I would say is, is think about it from, from the employer's perspective, right? Like CMMC, just so you guys know, CMMC is this new standard that the government's going to be requiring anybody doing business with uh, the, the government, right? So there's tons of contractors that do business with the government. It's a whole industry, right? And you have to have this, this certification and you have to be compliant with CMMC standards. There are so many, like I just recently switched jobs, right? And I went, I was like interviewing and stuff and everybody was like, what do you know about CMMC? What do you know about CMMC? Because the businesses don't know. All they know is here's a standard. I got to comply with it or I'm not going to be able to make money. So they are like, hey, hey, market, is anyone, hey, does anyone out here know anything about CMMC? And like, if you raise your hand, they're going to be like, hey, you in the back, come to the front, right? And that's going to be your ticket. So especially in GRC, I would argue like, being a, a master of one versus a jack of all trades is definitely going to benefit you, um, you know, and hopefully you do your due diligence and go for like CMMC or HIPAA or like something that's in demand, right? Like, unless you're going to go to Europe, I feel like ISO 27,000 is kind of deprecated mm -hmm. or less popular. So um, I just, just a suggestion, um, especially CMMC, because that's about to topple, right? Um, that's a thing that's coming in probably the next three or four months, uh, just so people uh, know about that. Right, yeah, so I, I would. I, you know, I just kind of concur with that, Jerry, real quick, and just mention that there's there's such a huge demand for CMMC, and you know, and and as part of that, if you want to like educate on CMMC, there's a whole kind of process you have to get through, and and you know, in addition to that, they only have X number of you know classes for that every single year, so that's one over the the next you know several years that will be definitely one you should take a look at and and try to see if you can get certified by the uh, the uh, uh, nonprofit organization that does that I, again that the name eludes me at this time but mm -hmm. uh, but definitely something else you you want to look at Jerry just dropped a gold mine for you right now he just dropped the, the crown jewel of, of GRC for the next several years at least in the in the public sector here in the US mm -hmm. so if you're here in the US and you're like I want a public sector job or I want to work with the public sector organizations or contractors 
he just gave you the answer. So go dive into all that and, and, and you'll be surprised at where your career will take you over the next few years. Yeah. And look, and just as a quick look up NIST 800-171, because that's, what's going to drive the CMMC controls. I'll drop it in chat. If, if anyone wants to do that real quick, uh, Differ, Diva, <laughs> Elaine says, you know, what's up, Ken? Uh, Jupiter, thanks for the uh, super chat. Appreciate that. Congratulations on passing your 601 sec uh, with the 767. Um, nice. You know, RB here, uh, we'll take one more from the crowd and then we'll we'll, uh, we'll kind of go back on schedule here. Um, what are your thoughts about data science? Now, RB says, uh, trying to pick up another skill set in the field. I've got some thoughts about data science's position in cybersecurity, but Ken, I'll, I'll flip it to you and, and get your thoughts. Yeah, no. So, so I think, I think, you know, it's, it seems like RB and I'll kind of answer this maybe two ways or, or in a coupled approach, but it seems like you maybe have industry experience. If I'm understanding that and you're just kind of looking like, Hey, what if I also add data science as a skill set? I'm just going to answer it in a, in a more generalized approach for everybody. And Yes. The answer is yes. Of course, there's value there. Right. And I think in a number of ways that maybe people don't traditionally think of, you know, one traditional way is, okay, how can we leverage AI and ML for, you know, as attacks get more massive. So these massive DDoS attacks, for example, or just to deal with the the extremely large volume of data that your typical socks are dealing with these days, you know, right. That's one approach, right. That's a traditional thinking through that the kind of what do we do at scale type of thing, right? Especially as we move more stuff to cloud environments, how can we get visibility at scale? I think another area where people maybe don't think of using it is what about in, in universities and in, in other, you know, other types of educational programs, how can we leverage, you know, uh, you know, visibility of the data that we're gathering, you know, maybe we're gathering information on students, you know, for, for some of the requirements we have with, with regulatory bodies, you know, I think another aspect that that uh, I've seen it used in is in financial services. You know, so so banks in particular, as they scale up, as they move infrastructure to cloud. So I think there's it's there's definitely a use case for it, depending on the organization you're with. I mean, I, honestly, I think it can be used across the board. Anything around data science, and that's really kind of a, a broad term. Data science it can can include a number of aspects there, but yes. The short answer is yes. I think it's a skill set for someone watching this brand new. Am I telling you like, go oh, now you got to go learn data science? No, not at all. Like focus on getting that first job first. And that's mm-hmm. one of the challenges I think with, with when you follow people on social media and stuff, if you ask a hundred different people, you're going to get a hundred different answers and even a thousand different answers in some cases. So you really need to focus on what makes the most sense for you right now at this time. So yes, I do see a lot of value in data science and coupling that with cybersecurity related things. You know, again, cybersecurity is a broad term there, but coupling it with things related to cybersecurity. But I also don't want people watching this that are trying to get in to get distracted by that because we've also mentioned on this session a couple of really good ways to get in. And data science, in my opinion, could be a distraction from that if your focus is just to get that first job. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, before we, we close on this topic, I, you know, the, like the last, you know, several organizations I've worked with, the way that the the organization is structured is that the CIO exists beneath the CIO is applications, infrastructure, information security, and data science, right? So, so like corporate America is not even seeing data science as a capability within cybersecurity. It's a separate 
um, skills. So I, I would agree. I mean, for me personally, uh, it's more about keeping the, the data science people from like putting their data everywhere and commingling it with other people's data set. Cause that's what data scientists people want to do. They want as much data as they can and they want to put it everywhere and stick it in big compute engines and stuff. So you got to keep your eyes on those people. All right. Um, so Ken, I, what the next question I, I got for you and I, I really want to, um, hold on, I'll figure out how to get rid of this. The next question I got for you, and I'm really, really curious when I wrote this one, I was like, Oh man, I can't wait to ask Ken this one. Okay. <laughs> So check it out. Like the last year and a half, the world has been turned upside down. Uh, I haven't uh, gone into an office and I don't even remember the last time. Um, I do wear pants uh, to work, even though, you know, everybody makes the jokes about working from the neck up. But Ken, tell me what your thoughts are around how, how the digital transformation, meaning remote workforce, work from anywhere, zero trust architecture, like with that paradigm, how, how has it impacted the cybersecurity industry and, and the market in general? Yeah, so I mean, what what event were you talking about, Jerry? I don't know what's happened in the past. <laughs> uh, so you know, I think I think what we we had seen is that you know the 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 more and you know I'll use the term forward thinking companies, uh, kind of loosely here, and the more forward thinking companies already had preparation for this, right? They were already allowing in some capacity employees to be remote and work from home, and they found that they were productive, et cetera, and they already had measures in place, you know, whether that's VPNs with, you know, multi-factor authentication or zero trust in, in place. And, and so those forward thinking companies were prepared, maybe not at scale, you know, they, nobody expected the pandemic. I, I don't want to say the, the, the C word, cause I don't know if this will get bumped down in the YouTube algorithm because of that. So <laughs> the, 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 the P word that I just mentioned, uh, that thing happened, right. Which we all know about, or unless you've been living in a cave, you don't know about, but everyone else we, we know about that. And so, even the forward-thinking companies, I think, maybe didn't necessarily think at scale of what could happen, but the other companies were were essentially caught with their pants down. You know, to you know, they they had their shorts on, so to speak, right? They didn't have their their dress pants on or whatever for the, the Zoom call, mm -hmm. and so so with that came the attackers making a pivot, right? I mean, threat actors are going to pivot to whatever is easiest approach, whatever makes them the the you know, if their if their focus is intelligence, whatever gets them that intelligence faster, easier, et cetera. If their focus is financial gain, whatever gets them that financial gain faster, easier, et cetera, right there, you know, please don't target any threat actors. They already are, who cares? But the reality is there's laziness, right? Like just as human beings in a general sense, we take the easiest route if we can. And the one that gives us the, the biggest bang for our buck, so to speak, that's, the, that's how we think, right? And again, going back to the the, the aspect of focusing on threats, you know, and making that drive everything. Here we are talking about this in this context, right? Where the, the work from home thing, where we all kind of had to like work from home all of a sudden, this allowed a bigger issue, right? The bigger issue being that we may be prepared for 20 people in our company working from home at any given time. Now, all of a sudden overnight, mm -hmm. the IT department, security teams, we had to spin up everything for maybe five, 10, 20, a hundred thousand people. And, you know, this comes with challenges, right? Comes with challenges, both from the attacker sense of more attackers are, are leveraging this method. They're trying these remote things to get in. They're also targeting our employees devices because they know that Jack in accounting maybe doesn't have his home computer patched up properly. And in most cases, Jack in accounting probably still does not have his home computer patched up properly. Same thing with mobile devices, you know, the bring your own devices. We, we started to do that uh, some capacity over the past several years, but now we're relying on, on both employee home networks 
to some extent, we're also relying on uh, employees' home systems, right? Their endpoints. And let's be real here. Let's be realistic. And our employees are not going to be updating their home stuff to the capacity they would want to, right? So those are some of the challenges we faced. And then, you know, on top of that, spinning up all these things, right, and, and, and uh, hitting capacity here, the challenge with that is anyone that's worked in the cloud space and spinning up stuff will tell you is that there's room for error, right? There's room for human error as we add more complexity to things. And so you may have some misconfigurations on things, et cetera. So just a number of, of different things to, to think through there that we experienced, uh, you know, over the past year, we had also seen, you know, a, a number of different types of attacks, right. You know, against different infrastructure that maybe in, in, in normal times, quote unquote, as, as I'll, I'll say it there, we didn't see the massive attacks there. So healthcare being an example, right? There was a lot of attacks against research around, you know, the C word thing. And, and so and some of the research on vaccines and, and things like that around that. So just, uh, just you know, as the, the thing happened, you know, the, the P word happened, we noticed that number one, the attack surface exploded. Number two, the, the attack uh, focus ex itself was usually different, right? It focused on healthcare, it focused on our, our, our home users with ransomware, things like that. And, you know, we, we had the complexity of scale, right? Where we had the misconfigurations, where we still have those issues in a number of organizations where maybe we didn't have two-factor authentication enabled on our VPN infrastructure and all of a sudden, poof, you know, we have this issue now. Maybe organizations were not leveraging things like zero trust, right? There's probably, there's some organizations I've worked with in the past that I can that come to mind that probably don't even have two-factor still on their VPNs. I won't name them, obviously, because then they'll be a target. Uh, right. They're probably already owned. Let's just be realistic. But but all these things, right? There's a lot of complexities there with the thing that happened, the P word there. And I think a lot of organizations we had seen were kind of essentially caught with their colloquial pants down and didn't know really what to do at first, right? I think we've gotten a little better over time as things have gone over the past year here because, and I'll give you know kudos to everyone in industry that's been sharing their knowledge. A number of us out there have been doing like free webinars for you know small business owners to help them get up to speed because these are things they never thought of, right? And now they're targets. Uh, the other thing here that I'll say is uh, cyber insurance, right? We also noticed over the past, at least I've noticed over the past, you know, 12 months or so, even 24 months before the P word thing happened, what threat, a lot of threat actors are doing now is they're targeting the insurers themselves then from there, once they are successful in the attack, they get a list of their clients. And then there's a twofold approach here, right? Number one being, let's tell all your clients that, you know, hey, let's extort the, the uh, cyber insurer saying, hey, we're going to tell all your clients that you got breached, right? Then on top of that, let's go attack all those clients now with the ransomware, for example, and, and, you know, extort them for more money, right? So we're seeing so many different new avenues of, of, of uh, attack approach here. Com coupled with the complexity of scale and all these other things we, we are typically dealing with and all that kind of, you know, builds into that beautiful snowball we love to call cybersecurity. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it really is a lot. It's like such a, it seems like such a simple question, like, oh yeah, we started working from home and, and uh, you know, putting our kids on zoom, uh, zoom calls. Right. And it's really from a cybersecurity perspective, it's really, really way more complicated than that. I mean, you mentioned the social engineering aspect, how threat actors attack that. 
Um, and that makes sense. And if you really take a moment and take stock of what happens, it's really any event, right? Tokyo Olympics, boom, getting all sorts of uh, fishing and stuff with that. Uh, you know, obviously the, uh, the situation that happened, you know, uh, you know, if there's like uh, political things, right. Or uh, social justice movements, like it, it's just whatever the theme du jour is, that's what the attack vector uh, is. Now, one thing that I really thought uh, was interesting and, you know, thank goodness that uh, it's funny how businesses can find money. Most businesses operate uh, on annual budgets, right? So this whole thing went down in like March, right? And people started working from home March 2020. And, you know, a lot of businesses weren't set up to handle like, yeah, we got 20% of the workforce that can work remotely. We're, we're set up for that. Now we have 100% workforce. Like our bandwidth doesn't fit that our Cisco VPN configuration doesn't support that. Like all sorts of like, you know, really figuring out what you are, you know, we talk about business continuity and disaster recovery and we've got it written documents that look great. And maybe we test, like we bet we restore one server, but like this was a really good test uh, and actually introduced a lot of resiliency to organizations to be able to operate uh, even in a diminished capacity and continue to generate money and stuff like that. And um and, you know, we talked earlier about cloud and the adoption by Azure. And I see, you know, a couple people in chat talking about cloud. And I appreciate that. Um, you know, when your infrastructure, and I know I said infrastructure as a service earlier, poo-pooed it. But what I mean is like your authentication mechanisms, that infrastructure, your user account management and structure and like being able to disable accounts and stuff like that. When that's in the cloud, you are not tied to whatever hardware stack you have in your data center, right? You have it anywhere, which is a double-edged sword, right? Because that means threat actors can access it from anywhere just the same. Uh, but, you know, obviously you, you approach it in a prudent manner. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think um, the remote workforce and had like really, really drove digital transformation, which I know is like the buzzword for 2021, but I feel like it really drove digital transformation into the adoption of uh, like zero trust architecture is like, it's just so cool a word and, and like people don't understand what it means, but like people got quick, uh, quickly educated on what it meant. Uh, and, and thankfully so, because it is a lot better than your, your traditional, um, you know, strong wall with a moat kind of, you know, firewall defenses. Um, okay. So that's all I'll say about that. Great, great answer though, Ken. I was, I was really curious. Um, about that. Um, yeah, just, uh, you know, one additional challenge I'll just mention, you know, as part of that, you mentioned the budgets of organizations, annual budgets. A lot of companies out there operate on an extremely small uh, window of profit. And so those types of organizations, you know, when things happen like that, they're already, you know, budgeted out and barely kind of making it, you know, scratching, scratching through things. They have to then take that, that pivot on the mindset and say, okay, Yes, it's a, a cost right now to do this, you know, as an investment, but what if we don't do that, right? Can we still actually sustain operations? So, you know, yes, it may be a cost. We might be in the negative through, through this next 12 months, but long-term, will that then, you know, allow us to maybe win more contracts or get better contracts or, or whatever? So it's a, there's just so many facets to this, this issue. It's not just a simple, you know, why own companies spend more money type of thing. It's, it's you know, there's, there's a lot of factors depending on, on the company. So, so I just want to surface that as well for those that aren't aware of kind of how enterprise level or even small businesses. I mean, a lot of them are working on very, very minute margins, very scraping by it's, you know, it's, a, it's extremely complex. A lot of these problems, it's not just you show up and patch a server one day, you know, right, or that right. you show up and run some Kali Linux, you know, this, this is not going to save the day. There's a lot of issues going on here. 
It's funny you say that too. Like we've got a couple seasoned people who are chiming in in the chat here. Brad Larson is one, uh, an individual named Randall Young. And I, and I really appreciate their chiming in, but you know, Randall's got 40 years of experience. Brad's got 25 plus. And, you know, you're, you're talking right now, Ken, about the, like understanding how enterprises work. And we focus so heavily on developing skills and doing skills-based training, but it's always like, this is how you run a sim. This is what malware analysis is. This is, you know, how you do an audit. And there's really never any exposure except on the job training of what an enterprise works, like how budgets work. Like, yeah, you don't have to understand how budget works, but you need to understand that you're only going to get money once a year and you better make a, a, a really good compelling argument that a business person who has zero IT experience can, can understand. And like, you'd, you'd never get that unless you, you work in the industry. And I, I do feel like that's a shortcoming of um, a lot of the training in, in our industry and, and, and probably in other industries as well, because it's really focused on executing the role in the job and not operating as a corporate citizen within the, the dynamics and bureaucracy of corporate America. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with that. I've seen the same thing. Yeah, a lot of times we focus on kind of the tools and and what do we do at, at, at sort of the, the lower level? You know, a good analogy here maybe is, is fast food, right? You know, I worked fast food long, long time ago. I won't date myself, but a long time ago. And, and you know, I did the fryer. I made the burgers, whatever. Here's the thing. I didn't – I wasn't exposed to the decisions, at least when I first started, at more of the, the managerial, the executive level of, like, how what I was doing fit into the bigger picture – and I think that's where we have the challenge, right? We're teaching people to, to work the fry machine or to make the burger or, you know, what, you know, get the drink or take the order or whatever. But many of them don't have the holistic view of, okay, how do these things tie into the processes behind those, right? Of, of, you know, the process of putting the, I worked at Burger King for, you know, spoiler alert, yeah. but you know, so how do you, you know, what's the process of, of, you know, why would you, why do you want to time, the, you know, the, the, uh, the burger, it can only sit up for so much time on the, uh, I don't know, heat lamp. I can't think of the name of it right now, but the yeah. heat lamp or heat sheep or something, it can only sit up for like 10 minutes, at least back in the day. I don't know nowadays, but back in the day, 10, you know, 10 minutes and, you know, and off that, you know, then everything else was kind of driven off that when it's expired, you know, you, you kind of had a process behind of how much meat you put through and how many sandwiches you made in advance based off time of day, et cetera. Right. So unless you're exposed to all that stuff and why everything sort of fits together, you, you don't really get it, right? And, and we we are kind of guilty, and I say we as the education providers and, and industry and all these things over the years of, you know, higher ed and all these things, right? We're kind of guilty of just teaching you how to work the fry machine or how to make the burger, but not the why, you know, mm -hmm. how does it fit into the bigger picture? So when we think of things like, as Jerry mentioned, cybersecurity budgets, you know, and I'll do another shameless plug here on Rapid Ascent. We, that's one of the things we actually teach you, right? We, we have you going through a budget. We did a free training uh, actually recently uh, had, had some people going through one of those activities like that, where they had to, they went through simulating a pen test and then based off their findings, you know, around the risk of the organization, they had to then create a budget and, and actually, you know, be able to petition that budget, you know, and say, Hey, we need, we need more resources. We need more money for tools, whatever, because of this, you know? So if you're out there and you're trying to learn this stuff, even if you're in the industry right now, my suggestion to you, is start looking at CISO training, right? Start getting a mindset of, of a CISO and, you know, or, or even just, you know, any executive, right? And thinking a bigger picture, like, okay, this thing that I'm doing today, right? You know, configuring a SIM tool, 
for example, to reduce false positives or, or something, or to you know alert on a certain thing that that I that might be a user action, right? Or as I'm building detection engineering, which for those that don't know, you know, once you identify some TTPs of a threat actor, you can then identify what do they actually have to do once they get in, right? And then what can I do detection-wise to detect them early? Because you let's just be realistic here. There's really no defense anymore. You know, some of that is alerts, whatever, but really the defense as we kind of learn in academia doesn't exist. I always assume that they're already in. And from there, build a def your defenses around that so you can detect them faster and stop them faster. That's really what it is. Because a lot of times it takes seconds once they get in to, to do the things they want to do. So if you can detect what they have to do once they get in based off the threat actor that's targeting your organization or likely to target your organization, that's really what you do. So I'm saying all that to say that as you think through different things like that, even forensics or, or malware reverse engineering, thinking about at, a, at more of an executive level, how does this apply, right? You know, if, I, if I'm really good at reverse engineering, what does this actually mean for the organization you know, at, at that level? And start to stack that. It's, it's tough at first. It's really tough at first if you don't have that mindset right now. But start learning about that because, number one, that's really going to help your career. You're going to explode, I guarantee it. And, and number two, it really helps you understand how the enterprise you're at and other ones you go to work. You're going you're gonna to be a huge value add when you can do things like that. So many people walk into you know, a room and try to negotiate for budget on things they need and things that even the executives across the table know they need. And they're like, I just wish you would have said one different thing. right? And I would have approved the budget. Mm -hmm. But you don't know what you don't know, right? You don't know how to communicate that effectively. So you need to get the, the executive mindset uh, on those things and kind of think in a more holistic view of how does this play into the organization and what the organization does to make money, right? How does this thing I'm working on maybe directly doesn't impact the money making of the organization, but in the chain of things, how does this affect the, how does this impact the, the money making side or the loss side of the organization? Yeah. And, and I'll give I'll give the audience a perfect example because I'm dealing with it right now. We we as cybersecurity professionals all know you shouldn't use unsupported or end of life operating systems, right? Like you shouldn't have Windows Seven anymore. Period. You certainly shouldn't have Windows XP. But like, let's be real and stick with Windows Seven. Okay, here's the deal: the the business spent. I'm going to use round numbers for this discussion here. The business spent a million dollars a couple years ago on outfitting the org with Windows 7 because you made a big stink that Windows XP was end of life. Okay, good. Now you're telling them that they got to get on Windows 10, right? And it's going to cost X amount of dollars. Why, Jerry? They work fine. The apps run on them. There's no problem here. Well, yeah, there is a problem because if someone gets in there, they're going to be able to pop them. If someone takes it home, they're going to be able to pop it. And it, and But they don't, they don't understand that. They don't care. They just say, why should I invest in some, why should I fix something that is not broken? Right. And that is part of the challenge of understanding. I mean, this is, a, we could do a whole different talk on speaking to the board on getting money, but this, this is a real example. Just because we all know that having windows seven is a terrible idea does not mean that the business is going to just open their checkbook and be like, how much do I owe you? Right. Like you've got to make that compelling, that compelling argument. And, and really this is gets into the, this is why CISOs, in my opinion, uh, come from the GRC track more often than not. They can come from the other tracks, but more often than not GRC because they get that risk scale and they're able to communicate effectively 
in a very succinct way, what is the risk to the organization if you do not make this decision? You do not need to fund my Windows 10 migration, but understand if you do not, this is the risk that when, you know, if it's realized, you know, I'm not going to say I told you so, but I'll have it documented in my risk acceptance thing that you said it was cool. Um, and it's not cool. Right. So, uh, you know, that, that's just a perfect kind of tangible example for people to wrap their head around, uh, about that piece of it. Yeah. And just one thing I'll add, I'll add on that. I, I work with an organization. I won't even tell the industry cause I might, you know, I might probably give it away, but essentially they, they were using outdated, uh, a software application they had paid, I mean, millions for maybe, um, I don't know, five, five, 10 years before worked fine. You know, obviously it was outdated, but it was segmented. It wasn't externally facing. The challenge was they wanted to upgrade their infrastructure to, to migrate away from legacy OS and also move, uh, do some cloud migration as well. And, you know, the challenge there was this legacy software that worked fine again, and there was no, you know, in the executive level, there was like, well, why, why would we change? You know, it's working great. The problem is that didn't work with, because the, the company went out of business. So it was just kind of there, right? It wasn't updated or anything. It was just kind of there. And it did not work with, you know, there's no backwards compatibility with, you know, with the, the, the older version of that. So that was a, a, a thing they were debating. Now, what happened was they, they did what Jerry said. Let's ignore this and we'll <laughs> accept this risk. And what happened is they got slammed with ransomware. Because they had outdated externally facing infrastructure, they got absolutely—I mean, just absolutely owned—you uh, know, knocked out for for a few weeks, in fact. And uh, and then all of a sudden, hey, the wallet opened up. <laughs> and, you know, and so, so you know, when we talk about things like this, we're just we're just trying to stress that it's always better to be able to negotiate that up front and allow executives to make you know the executives in charge of budgeting budgeting to make an efficient decision that's informed. And then, you know, from there, that's that's their problem, in my opinion. I, I, I just like, hey, it's your problem at that point, right? I, I gave you all the details you needed. And if you decide to make that approach, then from there, like Gary said, it's documented and and it falls on you at the end of the day and not and not me as the person bringing it up to you. Yeah, yeah. And we're now, I mean, this is a really good conversation, Ken. We're, we're getting into the context of, you know, what is the CISO at an organization or, or the person accountable for information security? Are, if there is a breach, if there's ransomware, are they liable or are they simply, and this is the position I take, uh, albeit it might be considered cowardly, are they an advisor to the business? I am an expert in cybersecurity. I understand what the risks are. I will explain it to you and I will be your consigliere and I will explain to it. But at the end of the day, you are the one who has to make the decision whether or not you're going to do something about it, which always, you know, basically turns into money. Like, you know, and, and I was explaining this, I, I teach too, I was explaining this to my students this morning. You can't fund everything. There is a finite amount of money that you're going to get because at some point it's going to cost more money to protect than what the revenue that the assets generated in the first place, right? So you've got to be real. So there is risk that you will accept, but you've got to you've got to make it clear clear to them on what they're accepting and what what funding would mean to them if they if they do do it. So I I'm an advisor to the business, Ken. I'm not accountable for information security. You know, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm slippery like that. Yeah. Yes. So uh, Ken, uh, we're we're kind of wrapped up on time here, but real quick, if if anyone in the audience, and this has been a great audience, we've been we've been static. Uh, with our numbers here. So uh, I really appreciate everybody in the audience joining today and, and visiting with us and listening to Ken 
uh, talk about all these great topics around skill-based training. But Ken, if someone wanted to follow up with you, uh, have a conversation with you, maybe get a, a question they didn't want to ask answered, what, what's the best way for people to connect with you? Yeah, I mean, you know, there, there's a couple ways, you know, to, I guess, depending on the, uh, the, the thing they're trying to get answered. Uh, more general questions, just reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, if you have questions specifically around Rapid Ascend, best place to go is just rapidascend.com uh, and check out our program that way. Um, that's usually the best route there. But uh, but yeah, if you have direct, you know, kind of more general questions around cyber careers, whatnot, just uh, I'm most active on LinkedIn. I do have a Twitter. I haven't checked it in probably a month. I probably should. Mm -hmm. I keep getting alerts that, you know, I've got like 400 new alerts or whatever. But but yeah, I mean, LinkedIn I'm active on. It's just easier for me to, to track uh, and message people, et cetera. Um, I will say if you reach out to me on LinkedIn via the messenger uh, over there and you don't get a response right away, just, you know, usually within a week, if you haven't gotten a response, just send another message. I get literally over a thousand a day. I try to get through all of them. Sometimes I just don't have time. I have other things going on. Um, so please just circle back another message, kick yourself back up to the top of the stack and I'll, I'll make sure I get back to you. Yeah, that's a good point. It's, it's, you know, people message me all the time too. It's not that I'm being selective or, uh, you know, I, I'm too good to respond. It's like, literally, there's just not enough time in the day uh, to, to respond to all of them. So sometimes it takes a few days. And certainly if you bring it back to the top of the inbox, um, or, you know what I mean, that's such a colloquialism. If you bring it back to the top, you're more likely to, uh, to be seen and, and, and get a response and stuff like that. So, yeah, you know, Jerry, and Jerry, that is good to know, because I did think you were ignoring me at first. So I will. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's uh, no disrespect, uh, Ken. Yeah. So here, let me just tell everybody really quick while, while we got you. Uh, yeah. So, guys, this has been uh, time with Ken talking about skill based training. But I want to tease this for everybody on September 2nd. Simply Cyber Live is bringing on Charles Finfrock. He is an 18 year career CIA field ops officer. The dude was in the field. He's a master of money laundering. Uh, and when money went from currency, like hard currency to crypto, he had to learn it so he could engage in these type of activities with uh, people who the CIA operates with. And he's going to come on. And I'm telling you, I, I spoke to Charles like last week just to talk about this show. And I just sat enamored for like 10 minutes while he just like ripped off a few example stories. Like I could talk about this. What do you think about this? And I'm like, oh my God, like, geez, like pause the brakes, Charles. So um, you're definitely going to want to check this out. I'll be, you know, teasing it all over social media and on the discord server, obviously, but I, I just want everyone to, to know about that. All right. So that's nice. going to, that's going to, yeah, Ken, you'll, if, you can, if you can make it, uh, check oh, it out. I, well, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll make sure, I'll make sure to, uh, to, book, to book some time out for that one. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right. Cool. All right, everybody. Thank you so much uh, for being here today, for engaging, being part of the Simply Cyber community. I, I totally appreciate it. Special thanks to Ken uh, for coming on and, and sharing your knowledge and experience with us. Um, you know, everybody be good, stay safe. And until next time, stay secure.